Oh, and you get eyes to the grave. You can tell who's undead. Because, you know, that's usually a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Zombies wandering towards you. He's like, hold up, everyone. Don't attack them. I need to make sure if they're undead. <laughs> this rotting traveler seems to be a little bit sick. Let me... T- oh, he's undead! <laughs> His arm falls off. <laughs> we can't be Luckily, too sure. Luckily, you all have an expert here. Welcome to Monsters and Multiclass, your Dungeons & Dragons fix. I'm Kevin Odie. I'm Jared Bornigal. And I'm Will Melden. And we'll be hanging out with you for a while to talk about anything and everything D&D related. This episode, we're taking a look at the Barbarian Cleric Multiclass, and then later on, the Hootagen from Mythic Encounters, a supplemental book from Verbal Dice Press. So pull the chair and stick around for a while. Today we're starting off with the Barbarian Cleric. The Barbarian is a pure martial class, and their main class ability is that they rage. When they go into the rage, they take reduced damage, they do extra damage, and that's basically what they're good at. They're good at hitting hard and being hit. Then the other one is the Cleric. Clerics are your holy warriors, uh, much more so than paladins, but that's a different argument. Clerics are full spell casters. They generally devote themselves to a specific god and a specific domain. And their other separating feature is their channel divinity that is usually flavored by whatever their domain is or is just a generic get zombies away from me button. The multiclassing requirements are going to be strength of 13 and wisdom of 13. First thoughts, Kevin, what do you think about this multiclass? I went into this one expecting to hate it, to be honest, because usually any barbarian with a full caster doesn't work well, but I actually came away kind of excited about this one. I think there's a lot of really fun, flavorful characters you can make, and not necessarily being like an optimized member of the party, but a viable one with a lot of versatility and just like a lot of cool flavor and background. Yeah, I I think I kind of had the same mentality. Will, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm i still leaning a little bit towards the initial mentality of you can make this work, but having played a cleric enough, I anything concentration-based we all know is going to be your big hang-up on the barbarian side. So you are definitely going to lose out on some big stuff. Yeah, overall, just the whole spells thing is very difficult when you're mixing it with a barbarian because their main feature, rage, prevents them from casting spells, which is kind of obvious, but you can't even concentrate on them. It's not like the druid's wild shape where you can cast a spell, go into your rage or your wild shape. Uh, Once you go into rage, it drops. So that is going to be something that you have to work around. For some reason, I always have this dumb idea that barbarians rely on wisdom, even like a little bit. Like, I'm always like, oh, yeah, you know, there's, like, something in the class that uses wisdom. Not even at all. And their AC thing is dex and con. They are the least reliant class on mental stats by far. There's not, like, even a single subclass that cares about your your wisdom. No, I actually remember this because I just made a level 20 barbarian. And I was like, yeah, I can't dump wisdom because... And I didn't have a because. I just (laughs) instinctively knew the barbarian (laughs) needed some wisdom. I don't know why. It's like, it just keeps being a thing. But no, it's it's not. No wisdom necessary. If you, dear listener, know where the hidden wisdom requirement for barbarians <laughs> is, let us know on Twitter. 
<laughs> it, it just kind of feels fitting that they'd be like in tune with their surroundings. Right, right. That's, that sort of stuff, yeah. Th- but, and that makes sense too. I mean, I guess it's like, you know, when you're like doing point by and you have like that one point left and you're like, oh, I have to move something from eight to nine. You're like, oh, I guess I'll move wisdom up. You know, they shouldn't right. be that bad at it. <laughs> So in terms of the, the biggest obstacle with this, the concentration, where, yes, clerics have a lot of concentration spells, and while a barbarian is raging, they, it will, that breaks concentration. I still think there's a lot of ways around it. Just because clerics have a lot of concentration spells doesn't mean you have to focus on it. You could use non-concentration spells. You could try and reserve their spell slots for healing, things like that. Or like a spell like Spiritual Weapon doesn't require concentration. You could have... You would have to cast it before raging, but it's a bonus action cast. So you cast it as a bonus action, go into a rage, and then still have it up while raging. Alternatively, you could also get just a versatility based on how the battle is going. Pick, all right, do I want to rage and get up in melee and hit things with my hammer? Or do I need to be the spellcaster this time concentrating on something? And you can kind of pick and choose and go back and forth. Or if you run out of spell slots, you have rages to fall back on and vice versa. Right. And it's definitely going to be one of those multi-classes where you're not going to be the best at everything that you do. You're not going to be the best spellcaster. That's gone. You're not going to be the best at martial. That's gone as well, too. But you're going to be pretty good in either scenario. You're never going to have those moments where you feel like you're just completely out of options. And I think that mm-hmm. alone makes it kind of appealing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I would definitely recommend, and we could go into more details, but picking the subclasses where you, at level 8, you get the boost to your melee weapons. So all cleric subclasses at level 8 either get to add, I think it's their wisdom to cantrips, or it might just be a D8. Or they could add a D8 of a damage type to their weapon attacks. What they get at that level is really kind of telling of the design intent behind that subclass. Where if they're getting a D8 to their weapon attacks, they're intended to be more melee focused clerics. Which of course fits really well with Barbarian. They also usually get proficiency in heavy armor. Which I think does screw up one of the Barbarian abilities. The fast movement. Just fast movement, yeah. Which actually isn't yeah. that huge of a deal. At least in my eyes. But it's like 10 feet of movement. Yeah. It, it, it can be, depending on the build you're going for, it can be worthwhile to skip over. Yeah, but God, now I'm feeling like I'm forgetting something. Can they rage on heavy armor? I No, the armor explodes. <laughs> oh, no. No, if you aren't wearing heavy armor. So never mind. Scratch that. You specifically do not get the benefits of rage if you are wearing heavy armor. What what was that? <laughs> that was me throwing away my notes. Um, oh. <laughs> okay, no, that's that's interesting. I that, that's kind I, of a big point. I don't know how all three of us missed that, but <laughs> no, I I definitely did. And one, well, one of the big things to consider about this is where your stats are going to go, um, because I just built a barbarian monk, and that relied on you know strength dex, wisdom, and constitution in order to have Mm -hmm. a somewhat reliable character. Uh, And this one is going to fall into the exact same trap where you're going to want your strength up high because you need to do strength attacks in order to get rage damage off. And you need your dex up high in order to have any type of armor class that's worth thinking about. You can still wear medium armor, and I guess that's something. That's... 
that's still pretty good. It's what, 14 or 15 plus a maximum of two decks. You could get plus 15, right? So 17. And then wield a shield. Right. 18 decks, you know. If you want uh, if you to go forge, clear it, you could give yourself plus one AC to your medium armor. I mean, so you can still have decent decks. Or not, sorry, decent AC. Right, right. And it's probably going to rely just on that, getting decks to at least, you know... 14. Yeah, 14 at the very least. Or the plus two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is decent. That's decent yeah, decks. That's, I mean. that's not particularly hard. And then from there, it's a matter of, you know, focusing on strength and wisdom, most likely. Khan is going to be one that you probably will suffer a little bit in comparison to a straight barbarian, but you're not playing mm-hmm. a straight barbarian, so you just have to accept that a little bit. Right. Yeah. It's it's a mix. You also have to keep in mind though the core of the barbarian is kind of that damage resist you are assuming you have. So you, your AC like doesn't need to be off the charts. You right. can just kind of right. tank these hits. Exactly, yeah. Or in that particular battle, not rage, stay in the back and be the caster. Yeah, but still, back to your original point, Kevin, uh, the uh, 1d8 per turn on melee attacks from going into Cleric is going to be extremely useful. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if it was every single attack, but that is not the case. Still, just an extra d8 for free is is pretty good. and. Right. I get the feeling, I, I don't know this off the top of my head, which I probably should. Does that work on opportunity attacks? Is it like uh, rogues where they can get it if if they do an opportunity attack? Let's look at the specific wording. At 8th level, you gain the ability to infuse your weapon strikes with divine energy. Once on each of your turns, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you could cause the attack to deal an extra 1d8 radiant damage to the target. And that goes up at 14th. Um, that's specifically... The Divine Strike for uh, Life Domain, but it's yeah. the same wording for all of them, just different damage types. Right. It sounds like, yes, it would happen on an opportunity attack once per turn. Okay. Or it says once on each of your turns. That, that's a little ambiguous. I'd hmm. probably give it to him as the DM, but I'm, I'm sure there's an official ruling out there. Yeah, well, I'll once again uh, say if you know the answer to that, you can always let us know. We'll probably be looking it up after this anyways. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I think that um, with that, as long as you're going into one of those classes that gives you the additional 1d8 at 8th level, you can really go as far into either of these classes as you would like. There's obviously going to be really important milestones, especially for the Barbarian. At 5th level, you get your second attack, and if you're going to be staying in step with any martial class, you're going to need to get that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it seems like going five and Barbarian, the rest in Cleric. Could be pretty worthwhile, yeah. Yeah. You're getting a solid amount of rages. I think at that point it would be... Three a day. Yeah, three a day and the plus two damage. The damage doesn't go up until ninth level anyways. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty hard to to get to in a multi-class. You might be able to, but eh. That would be more likely if you were going to do like a, a dip into Cleric. Right. Which I feel like I'd have a harder time justifying. Yeah. A lot of times, like, the one-level dip in a cleric is beneficial because you, you can get heavy armor and stuff like that, which is not And your, your channel divinity. Here. Which channel divinity can be used while raging. Yes. It's not a spell. Yeah, that one's really nice. And I think there's going to be some subclasses and, and domains that mesh really well because of that. 
Definitely. But yeah, fifth level dips. You get your rage three times a day. Unarmored defense, where I have a feeling you'll probably be better off in medium armor, but it's there. It's still nice to have it where... Uh, that one kind of depends on how um, how the table, how that group handles armor. So with this combination, you're probably better off just wearing medium armor. It'll probably be a higher AC. And like at our table, that means, okay, unarmored defense will never happen. It just won't be used. Because we kind of treat armor how you treat it in a video game. You just have it. You're the guy in half plate. You have 17 AC because of it. You sleep in it, you eat in it, you poop in it, you go to fancy dinners in it, you're just in it. <laughs> you know, it's like just kind of hand-waved. I I guess as there are tables out there who take a more realistic approach, where your armor's kind of clunky, you put it on when you're expecting battle or dangerous situations, which means there will be times you get into a fight without it. And having that unarmored defense to fall back on so your AC isn't just 10 plus decks, I think would be nice. Yeah, Definitely. And I think, yeah, like at, at our table, again, the main reason is because we do so much travel and travel's like mm-hmm. a really big part. And a lot of these encounters happen at night. And if every single time I caught you guys at your, you know, 10 AC or whatever it is, 10 plus dexterity, I think it is by default, mm-hmm. it would be really lame. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't sound that fun. And we would, I would have to scale down combat so much. But if it was something where you guys got attacked in the middle of the night and you're like staying at an inn, that's a time I could see being like, oh, hey, this is one of those moments where you would have taken off your armor. Right. So I guess, you know, we're weird, but you, you're not like sleeping in your armor in the inn weird. That would be a little <laughs> too much. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm good if I kind of just hand wave it except for story moments. Right. Yeah. I I actually like that too, but I also kind of hate it. It's like, when are you wearing your armor? When the DM decides, you know, story reasons necessitate this not to work. Like, it works, but I hate it. When the DM balanced combat around you not having it. <laughs> All right, or for actual non-force story reasons, just kind of say, yeah, you sleep in it, it's fine. Um, I think in Xanathar's gives rules about sleeping in armor, but then they also give a special type of armor that says you could sleep in it. What one of that books does? Yeah. So you could I, just kind of say, we all have the comfy armor, you can sleep in it, it's fine. Uh, but then you can set up situations where we have to go to a fancy dinner to woo the king. We're not showing up in our bloody, grimy, nasty armor. You're taking it off, you're putting on fancy clothes. Like, uh-oh, there's assassins there. Looks like you stuck without armor. I hope someone snuggled in, smuggled in a dagger. And, and the answer is always yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's, a, there's always a dagger somewhere here. Will, did you say Anne smuggled in some plate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little harder. That would be a really frustrating combat if you had no, like, oh, God. I'm just thinking about, like, equipmentless combat and how fucked, like, a lot of people are. Like, the uh, monk yeah, that's... is totally fine. Totally fine. The barbarian is okay, but not going to do well. Everybody else is, like, slaps for one damage moving on. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's when you need to pull, like, a Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Oh, you won't part an old man from his walking staff. And it turns out it's his arcane focus. It's like, yes, sir, we have a ton of wizards in this place. <laughs> we know what you're going to do with that. Give it to us now. Right. <laughs> It only worked because there was only, like, three Gandalfs in the universe. They're totally prepared. Just have, like, backup walking sticks. They're like, oh, yeah, while you're in here, you have to use one of our sanctioned sticks. (laughs) There's nothing magical about it. No arcane runes. 
you know, blessed by an ancient whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for the cleric barbarian, uh, one thing yeah. that I think is a, going to be a huge thing is just that idea of, of losing out on spells while you're raging. Now, you mentioned spiritual weapon. I think that's a fantastic one to cast. Um, I tried to look for other ones that might be worthwhile, and the first one that came to mind is one that has particularly plagued our game recently, Blindness and Deafness. Mm, So that is one that clerics get, and you can use while raging and is not concentration, and as we've discussed probably out of the podcast, this is such an underrated spell that if you can get a Blindness and Deafness off on somebody, then you can just absolutely ruin their day, you know, on a spellcaster or whatever. Yeah, and just to clarify, you blind them or deafen them. You don't get both. Generally, you probably just blind them. But. Right, right. But I mean, that shuts down so much, especially around spellcasters, anyone who does range, really anything. It just shuts down everything. Yeah, it turns out not being able to see is a detriment. <laughs> yes, Ke- like what Kevin said, that seems really fucking dumb, but it's a really important thing in D&D to be able to use your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And that's usually why all like the really tough monsters have true sight or blind sight when you start to get up so they're so the entire encounter is not crippled by a level what, one spell or two. level two. Yeah. yeah, level two spell of blindness. Another one that's non combat or just any non combat spells, a uh, big thing of this is your barbarian generally has zero outside of combat utility beyond their skills. This offers a ton, so maybe you're not focusing on taking a bunch of combat spells, which is fine. One that could be useful, at least at earlier levels I kind of liked it, is the aid spell, uh, where you can give a couple of your party members five extra to their max HP for the adventuring day. I think that one can be pretty useful. Yeah. And yeah, at the end of the day, you're still going to only have so many rages, so there will be a a usefulness to that spell casting, I believe. Yeah. Oh, Guidance. Oh, yeah. Great one. Yeah, definitely great out of combat kind, cantrip. And I think only clerics get that. Nope, cleric, druid, and artificer. Oh, druids get that. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I just don't like it. <laughs> and our cleric already has it and forgets to use it every single time. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, I mean, this still is going to allow you to play a more brawly cleric, too, and a more utility barbarian. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. It's one of those times where the going the middle of the road will make you worse at both, but I think there's something to be said about being okay at two things in D&D instead of just very shoehorned in. Yeah, definitely. The versatility. So what I will say is that what Kevin said earlier in the podcast where uh, when you track down these eighth level features on the cleric, you get the spirit of what they were going for. Uh, whether you got potent spellcasting, which makes your cantrips, you know, more powerful, or whether you got the D8 on your melee thing. I think you really summed that up with the spirit of, because at the end of the day, none of your pure cleric implementations are going to end up in melee. It just doesn't work out damage-wise. So this is kind of a way to pursue that more. I don't know how well it works, but, you know, competing with cantrips is just tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you get extra attack at fifth, because and then then you can add your strength. Right, but I totally agree. I think most clerics by the like, we've got a, a ninth level life cleric right now, and for the first time in 
I don't even know how many sessions since you guys turned eighth level, which is probably over a dozen sessions at this point. She made a melee attack and she was like, oh, I get an extra D8 to that. Like, wow, that's a horrible class ability if it takes 12 (laughs) sessions to come up. And I just, I mean, I know you can play a life cleric like that. You can play a more brawly one, but she has told the dead. So why? Why would she bother? Right. Yeah. I I mean, I guess if for pure cleric, you could argue if you're fighting an enemy that is really good wisdom saves. Yeah. You know, you know, resistance to necrotic. Yeah. But it it doesn't come up. Yeah. Then we're talking about once every 12 sessions where it's a good idea. Now, this was the exact same for Saucy. Saucy was a Forge cleric, which is another one of these melee-focused ones. He used the Divine Strike fire thing twice, you know? Yeah. And one of them, I was consciously saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this because I don't think I have yet. <laughs> that doesn't exactly scream this is a vital class feature, you know? Yeah. Right. Nah, I'm, I'm with you. Then what's frustrating about that is the other side of it the one where the cantrips get more potent will come up all the time right right so it does kind of yeah weaken those subclasses a bit it feels like it's not like level eight is just sort of like a ribbon ability level for clerics and that's it because yeah half of the subclasses get really good stuff the other half <laughs> a novelty that's why uh <laughs> you'll notice actually i think i don't think this was intentional at all but at least two of these uh melee focused ones are standout subclasses you know life and forge are they've got good shit so mm-hmm. yeah. losing out on your eighth is it doesn't actually matter no that's what i was thinking too that's is fair. that yeah. i think overall the curve comes out fine but when you look at something like the knowledge domain uh, in comparison to the forge domain in comparison to the life domain i think that it isn't as great Uh, at least on like the earlier abilities. It has good stuff. I'm not going to say that it's a bad domain by any means, but I would say by eighth level, they're probably feeling a little bit lacking in comparison to the forge, in comparison to the life, in comparison to those those other ones. So yeah, I think it hurts a little bit, but it's not to the extent that you could just, you know, take out the forge clerics eighth level and and give them the potent spell casting and everybody would be on equal grounds. I think there would be some obvious differences there. That's very true, yeah. I think uh, one of us mentioned it last episode where you can't just compare level to level. Where That's the tempting thing to do, but sometimes it's, you do need to look at the subclass or the class as a whole and right. realize, okay, yeah, they're weaker earlier on, and so this more powerful 8th level catches them up. Right, and I think that was probably because of the uh, the Oath of Glory Paladin that had like the awful, awful start. Oath of Glory. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's literally a week ago, Kevin. Get it together. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then, looking at different domains uh, for to go with this, I liked Death Domain. I thought that was a good option. Their thing is at first level they get Reaper, which whether or not this is good for Barbarian, not sure. But they learn an extra Necromancy cantrip of their choice. Uh, off of any spell list, not just the cleric one. And when they cast a necromancy cantrip that normally targets one creature, the spell can instead target two within five feet of each other. That's pretty nice. I could see that coming up at least somewhat regardless, because there's definitely going to be times as a barbarian where you're going to be out of range. And maybe you don't want to rage yet because you want to use your cantrip. 
So great. You get Toll the Dead on two enemies next to each other. Chill Touch, also a good one to do. Uh, and I think there was also, what's the other one? Uh, Sapping Sting, which I wasn't as familiar with, but that one could pair nicely with Barbarians to set up because Sapping Sting, I think it might be Xanathar's, but I'm not positive. I, I just have it written down in my notes, not where it's from. But it can, it only does like 1d4 damage, but it knocks the target prone. Hmm. So the kind of like you hit them and makes them collapse. Yeah. And so if you're doing that on two creatures and then you like, you know, sprint up to them and it takes your whole action to do. So it might not work out to be honest, but at least gives you some battlefield control. Okay. And that's from Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. Oh, way. okay. So it must be a, a new one. So well, I, I like yeah, it. Yeah, a new one, which is why we're, yeah, not, not everyone, a lot of people probably won't have access to that. Can clerics even use doing a man see? I, I don't, don't know. know. No, oh, oh, it's a it's a necromancy cantrip. That's why you can take it. Because the oh. death domain lets you take any spell. It doesn't matter if it's on the cleric spell list. But you're right, Kevin. Some people might not let you take it because the book's just not allowed. But Also, you know. this sub isn't this subclass a D and D or DMG subclass? It is the death domain, yeah. <laughs> so also keep that in that, mind. That's the that's the evil cleric. Yeah, I hear you, and I know that that's it's not as bad as like the Oathbreaker Paladin to me. No, it's not. You're very, very right. There. I see a lot of reasons why you could use this. I, I actually don't see yeah. any big reason to to really restrict it from players as long as they have a good enough reason. Yeah, yeah. The biggest thing is like it. The flavor of it kind of bends towards an evil character, and if you don't want evil characters, you know, make sure you sit down and have a talk with them about about that. But you can still make it work. But yeah, you're right. It's not. It's no Oathbreaker where it's like you boost all undead around you, whether you want to or not. <laughs> right. I think that it's in the same way that a necromancer is kind of just inherently more evil. You know, like if you just have necromancers, it's like, okay, how, why are we going to let you join the party? Uh, I think that's the same <laughs> kind of method with the the death domain here, is where you could probably figure it out. But surface level, yes, it is about somebody who just is basically a grim reaper right but that's very fitting with a barbarian <laughs> <laughs> it is i think nature domain is also very fitting uh it's it's kind of interesting with the barbarian when you first kind of hear about it and think about the class and probably most people's first thoughts is just like the pure martial brute just goes in mean nasty big person fucks things up but the absolute vast majority of the subclasses have a really strong spiritual kind of flavor to them an ancestral guardian uh storm herald totem warrior and then even like the path of the zell is actually just a divine flavor to them and so in that sense i think a lot of these mix well with cleric and then a lot of them especially with nature domain i could absolutely see a nature cleric also being a totem warrior or a Storm Herald, or like the Tempest Domain being a Storm Herald, I think would be really cool. So Tempest Domain is really good with the Storm Herald Barbarian. Uh, at first level, they do get heavy armor, which we already determined doesn't matter at all. But they also get the Wrath of the Storm ability. When a creature is within five feet of them and it hits you with an attack, you can use your reaction to cause the creature to make a deck saving throw. The creature takes 2d8 lightning or thunder damage and on a failed saving throw, I'm sorry, on a failed saving throw and half as much on a successful one. Uh, and you can use that up to 
your wisdom modifier. So like a, a max of five times if you're at 20 wisdom per long rest. Uh, so that's just very fitting right out the gate. They also get their destructive wrath channel divinity at second level, which just lets them use channel divinity to maximize thunder or lightning damage. So this is all still just cleric, but those pair very well together, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storm Herald also gets the ability to just drop more lightning damage and give more chances for it. Right, like they get the Storm Aura. Well, like when they're raging, they could pick a Desert Sea or Tundra and has a different effect. And the ton- Sea one allows... Yeah, when the effect is activated, you can choose one creature you can see in your aura. Targum makes a dex save or takes a 1d6 lightning damage. That failed. Have as much on a success. And what I love about that is it is not a action. It's not a reaction. It's not a bonus action. You just get to do 1d6 damage for free every round. Is that true at all? No. Nope. <laughs> How do you... <laughs> stating that. Uh, so it's... Well, you when you rage, you... Activate the aura, and this effect happens when you activate the aura. Oh, shit. Then on each turn, as a bonus action, you can continue to activate it. Well, that's annoying that they put it up there, having to read the entire thing to get the rules. (laughs) As opposed to skimming to the parts I want and just assuming that's the case. (laughs) Okay, so a bonus action to do that is really not that horrible, and you're probably not using your bonus action for anything else unless you used your spiritual weapon. Right. But this doesn't cost you, you know, a spell slot or anything. So that can be nice. Yep, and you can be raging. Yeah, and then the uh, cleric stuff like uh, Wrath of the Storm and Destructive Wrath and things like that. That can also happen while raging. Right. So I just like the flavor. You just really double down on being, you're the lightning guy. And you wade in the battle with your big mole and storms. Clouds roll around you and strike people with lightning. And if someone hits you, they get zapped. And right. Crap like that. I also like that at 6th level they get Thunderbolt Strike. This is uh, the Cleric 1, the Tempest Domain, uh, which is just when you deal lightning damage to a large or smaller creature, you can push it up to 10 feet away from you. I don't know how often you'll want to do that because being a Barbarian, there's a lot of times that you're totally fine with something being right in front of you, but the option is there and I like that. And it's very, very easy to get some lightning damage off. Yeah, well, especially with the C or up. Right. Every round. Right. <laughs> it's even ha- it's half damage on a save. So it's it's guaranteed to do something. Mm-hmm. So you pretty much have a guaranteed way to push someone around. Being able to do that for free is actually a bigger deal than it initially seems. Just pushing people around 10 feet? Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, as a bonus action, that then that becomes like, wow, you can kind of really fuck people around. Right. Every just, single round. Just push people off cliffs. Multiple Every times round. round, in yeah. fact. <laughs> yeah, there's no limit on how many times per round. The only limit is the fact that, well, you have to be raging, so you can't also cast a spell. Right. Yeah, but you could also use it in situations where, as you said, as the barbarian, you kind of like to be the tank, the one being hit. So let's say there's someone else being hit. You run up to them. You use your rage and use that the sea or deal the lightning damage. Push them back ten feet from your party member, and then you move up an additional ten feet, essentially locking them. Oh, that's a great point. In place there and giving your party member a free runaway. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. I think it would come up a lot. I think as you start playing it, you a lot of creative uses would to just be able to nudge people around ten feet for basically free. Yeah, and this isn't a class where. I mean, the Barbarian alone is enough reason to go higher up in the the class, but the 
six level abilities, I feel like are just the the C one's pretty good. The other ones, I don't know if I really love. I guess you just get resistance to lightning damage. You can breathe underwater, and you get a swimming speed of thirty feet. It's fitting flavor wise. I don't know how often lightning damage comes up or needing to breathe underwater, but that can be nice. I can tell you that lightning damage comes up a lot less than most lightning classes wishes it does. <laughs> it is a very rare uh, spell type, to be honest. Yeah. Also with this combination, I like the... I, again, just sort of the, or the role-playing kind of cool moment thing where you're, you're raging, you have your sea aura up, lightning striking around, people being blasted back 10 feet. You start getting surrounded or a big, big enemy comes up and you realize that, all right, this is the big moment. And then so you do something like lightning bolt with destructive wrath. So you, it would mechanically, it's you're ending your age and then casting a spell and then using channel divinity to maximize that damage, which could be a really big hit, can end a battle, stuff like that. But you play it out where you're barely trying to hold, hang on and hold people off as you're blasting lightning out and you reel back and just huge chain bolt of lightning flows out from you, destroying everything in its path and you're just kind of left weakened because, yeah, yeah, then your age like you sort of put all your energy in doing that right now sadly i think what ruins this is clerics don't get lightning bolt and the tempest domain does not either they get oh, call right. lightning and they get sleet storm they don't get lightning bolt at fifth level yeah lame i knew there was there was a trap so in you here. could upcast thunder wave and that would be kind of cool <laughs> no it really wouldn't be that cool <laughs> I, I use thunder wave all the time it always sucks <laughs> does that max out it for everybody yeah it does doesn't it what do you mean like it when you hit multiple people oh yeah yeah it does so any type of aoe lightning or thunder is is super useful which ironically you get nothing but yeah i was gonna say actually yeah thunder waves first level spell so upcast it to fifth it's now doing 5d8 thunder damage in a 15 foot cube around you shatter maximize it that's actually pretty, yeah. Shatter oh, works okay. as well. Yeah. So, exactly what you said, just not with lightning. Yeah, instead <laughs> of a bolt of lightning shoot out of your hand, it's a wave of thunder burst from you as your energy leaves your body. Perfect. <laughs> yep. And they don't get shit, do they? <laughs> like, like spell-wise? No, as far as lightning-wise. Lightning-wise, they literally... Yeah. Why do they have insect plague? That doesn't seem very fitting, does it? It does piercing damage that is very weird at ninth level to get insect wave yeah what meeting like all right guys the tempest domain needs a nice capstone damage spell insect plague insect plague (laughs) (laughs) man he always wants insect plague for a ninth level spell spell. put it though (laughs) bugs are terrifying it's not even a good spell (laughs) Eh, it's Uh, all right Uh, it is not fitting at all. Like, nature domain should get that. Does nature domain get it? No, they get they lightning not. bolt. <laughs> oh no, they get it. They, get they do it. get insect plague. Yeah, he's gonna find that every single cleric domain gets insect plague at ninth level. Like it's just a. It's all fucking insect plague. What is? This? What kind of conspiracy is this? Truth is, kid, it was insect plague from the start. Fucking love that spell, man. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so as for like a, a character concept between the Tempest and the Storm Herald, to some extent, it's almost too obvious. I mean, they're they both like storms. What more do you need? <laughs> I say that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's just fun. But I always like for clerics the thought of like a, a character who found religion. So like a barbarian who tries to master and hone their rage turns to religion and they're offered a path forward from a god as their kind of champion. And you could have like start it off where their tribe is very centered around the worshiping of storms as a whole. Uh, and there's just so much that you can do with it from from that aspect. But I think the more For interesting sure. parts come up in the the conflict you create because you have to create some inner conflict with the character uh, and trying to I would play this off where like you, the, the character needs to learn that storms aren't just about destruction. It's kind of about like, oh, it's the rebirth that follows or whatever as your character's like, screw off, Mr. Godman. I'm here to get mad and break stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. in terms of role-playing, I mean, I think there's a lot of really cool, fun concepts you could do. Well, you said kind of the redemption arc of finding religion, or a corruption arc where the really religious person devolves into just kind of a rage machine. Oh, that's good too, yeah. <laughs> or ones where you kind of mix it together to make it work, uh, where you could reflavor rage as your the divine energy flowing through you. Stuff like that, if you, especially if you pick a really kind of wrathful god that's like a god of war or something like that. Um, or you could play a cleric where they're the really pious, patient, wise, kind of like priest, but they have serious anger issues on certain hot button topics or something. And they kind of could like flip a switch and just completely hulk out. <laughs> the implication there is a little bit tough because like... We're talking a combat thing, so it's not like you're going to wait until somebody brings up Insect Plague to go into a raid. <laughs> I hate that Insect Plague is the Tempest Capstone spell! No, you're going to... Your trigger would have to be somebody attacks me with a deadly weapon. Which is most people's rage <laughs> in their defense. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, compared to just like going into a rage when somebody suggests that you should have crunchy peanut butter instead of smooth. Ah! <laughs> that's the one thing i hate <laughs> the big bad evil guy turns right. off your rage by agreeing but, with you no you're <laughs> totally on your side on this oh thank you in in kevin's defense though uh it doesn't have to be what the other party says to you in order to get you riled up it's more of just how you kind of focus on things like every time you want to bring out your rage you just think about how annoying it is that at ninth level and cleric you're just gonna get insect plague and like that enough is to make you hit harder it's enough to make lightning shoot out of your hands if you're storm herald right <laughs> it's about channeling that into a uh, productive thing at the time outside of combat it's just going to be a flavor thing when people bring up your peanut butter preferences, you're going to get mad, but you're not going to expend a rage and start smashing tables. <laughs> but you but could. you can. You're you well can. within your rights. <laughs> I am Team Crunchy, though, for, for what it's worth. I don't give a shit, man. Like, I'm actually very upset about the entire controversy. <laughs> Both sides caring upsets me so much I start smashing tables. <laughs> <laughs> the neutral barbarian anytime somebody has an actual opinion that's what makes you mad oh, this conflict is pointless I don't care about any of this <laughs> I, 
I think another cool way to play it is almost like as if you're like a cleric to a cult. If you start looking into like the demon lords and the devils and stuff like that that are listed out in the various books, a lot of them, especially uh, Morning Canons goes into it, um, cults to these various demon lords. And they all have clerics to it. Like there's the cultists and then they kind of talk about clerics to that demon lord or whatever. If you want to play an evil character or maybe soften it a bit, maybe it's not quite to a demon lord, but a kind of like questionably evil god or something, you could have a cleric to something like that. And all of them seem to have this aspect to them where they kind of devolve into their baser instincts. Especially like, I think, cultist to Yinogu or... um, Fuck, I should have looked it up. What's the Minotaur one? Oh, no. Baphomet? Yeah, that sounds Maybe. about right. I think it's that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, the more bestial ones where it's there's flavor in there, how they could kind of devolve into these more sort of animalistic instincts and just kind of like tear people apart and stuff like that, which could kind of be flavored into the rage where... So they have their spells... Maybe kind of your folks have more destructive, kind of evil type spells. And then they have the ability to fully succumb to the madness that is their demon lord, god, or whatever. And fully devolve into that rage. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, and yeah to fit that one in a non-evil campaign, maybe you're not probably... Maybe it's an NPC. Maybe, maybe it's an sure. enemy. I mean, honestly. Uh, yeah. You can do yeah, that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or it's one of the adventures where there's there's a world-ending threat and it's sort of reluctant right. allies to Baphomet's just that like, sort of stuff. hey, I also don't like this because the way that uh, you know the the world is ending isn't the way that I decided it to, it should end. So go yeah, go stop I, I it. Yeah, uh, Paladin to um, Earthnul, who was a really evil god in the one, and that that's exactly why he came along. It was it's like, all right, we well, we also don't want the world to end, and these guys are fixing it, so. I just kind of toned down the evil for a while. Right. <laughs> Circling back to, or I guess kind of on that topic of the the death domain and zealot barbarian, also works very well for that eviler class combination. And I really like the zealot barbarian's earliest ability, the divine fury is just very fitting. You can either do extra damage that's radiant or necrotic. Necrotic probably makes the most sense with the death domain. And you get a lot of stuff later on with the death domain that just makes that better. Specifically, at 6th level, you get inescapable destruction, where you can ignore resistance to necrotic damage. That one, I think it, it it's the same thing as like the lightning resistance. Like how often does that really come up? Probably not super often, but I think all demons are resistant to necrotic damage. I'm pretty sure. So if you're fighting a lot of demons, you're in a good spot. <laughs> Otherwise people, probably not so much. I guess, no, no, I've got nothing. But then the other thing I really liked about Death Domain in combination with this was their channel divinity, which I didn't get to mention earlier, is the the touch of death. They basically just get a, a necrotic smite, where they use their channel divinity, which as we already discussed, can be used during rage, to deal extra necrotic damage to the target, equaling 5 plus 2 times the cleric level. Uh, it's not earth-shattering damage, but it is extra damage, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, it's guaranteed there's no roll for it or anything, no saves. Uh, and it's, yeah, once per short rest later on, by six level choice per short rest. Multiple times. Yeah, so, you know, just a good bit of extra damage, and that's always good. 
That's a. I mean, that fits pretty well with the barbarian combo. That's for sure. Twice yeah. you get to do a shitload more damage, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, and overall, I just I like the zealot barbarian as a a class. It's really solid. The whole thing of you know you can like be more easily brought back to life is like kind of nice. I don't think it's a huge deal. It lets you play a little bit more recklessly, I guess, which is kind of cool. If you're the one who's expected to cast it. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd call that more of a ribbon ability just for the sake of flavor. Right. Because it's the second thing they get at their level. But it is nice. I mean, it doesn't cost material components when you use a spell such as Raid Dead or Revivify to bring it back to life. And like in our current campaign, we, we have a cleric who has Revivify and how much time have we and money have we dedicated to making sure we have enough diamonds to be able to reliably cast that multiple thought like it, we're probably closing in on 2000 gold worth of at least <laughs> bought diamond dust this, <laughs> it's only come up twice i think right you guys have only died died twice i know my character got revived once um Cross at least Logan's once at least twice twice, least twice. Yeah, no, i think twice i think twice i think he did get marked like a couple of sessions ago i don't think i've gotten killed no not yet i do appreciate though that every time you guys have gotten killed to some extent it's like actually been a role-playing moment uh where it's like kind of a big deal for a little bit like oh shit i i died i saw the other side this is a new thing i feel like this is the first campaign where it's ever been a thing where like previously we're just like i'm dead hey i'm back let's keep going (laughs) Uh, no, I, um, in the rain campaign, your other home uh-huh. one, uh, Hatar, the, the ranger, the half-orc ranger, I, I, I did use the, he died a bunch. I don't know what went wrong with yeah, that character, he but did. he kept dying, if you remember, and kept having to be brought back, and I, I did use that as role-playing stuff, um, in a negative way. Pushed him more to Groomsh. <laughs> yeah, I, like I remember Because that. every time, every time he died, Groomsh yelled at him. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But yeah, definitely. If, generic D&D advice. If your character dies and is brought back to life, use it as a role-playing moment. <laughs> or don't. That is also a role-playing option. That's actually true. As long as you're making an active choice about it, if you're actively right. deciding that your character doesn't care that they die, then that's probably a big red flag for the rest of your group, to be honest. <laughs> you're like, hey, <laughs> notice that you died yesterday. How you doing? Huh? Uh, fine. You know. Whatever. I forgot about yeah. it. Literally happens to everyone eventually. Tuesday life. <laughs> that would be musty, wouldn't it? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you bring me back? It was so peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> A sport druid especially is very, very, very okay with death. Yeah. But yeah, like uh, Path of the Zealot... Grave cleric would probably be one of those characters where you could justify the being perfectly fond of dying and being brought back to life. That's like a normal part of their existence. Yeah. Because it's like, it's what they do. Grave cleric would also be another great one to to combo with. I think the only issue is that at 8th level, they do get the potent spell casting. So if you were to do the dip into cleric from Barbarian, just for a utility standpoint, you'd get a lot of really good stuff. Just getting Spare the Dying as a cantrip, I think enough is a good reason. for If, if you have like no other healers in your party or no way to like stop people dying, then a one-level right. dip, everyone's going to love you. Oh, and you get Eyes of the Grave. You can tell who's undead because, you know, that's usually a mystery. <laughs> 
<laughs> zombies wandering towards you. He's like, hold up, everyone. Don't attack them. I need to make sure if they're undead. <laughs> this rotting traveler seems to be a little bit sick. Let me... T- oh, he's undead! His arm falls off. <laughs> or he can't be Luckily, too sure. you all have an expert here. <laughs> Um, and their their channel divinity is probably one of the best, especially if you have like a paladin or something in your party, where the oh, yeah. next attack you, you like target a creature and you curse it until the end of your next turn. The next time you or your ally hits the curse target with an attack, the creature has vulnerability to all of that attack's damage. So if you get like a, a paladin, just I'm loving. I would love the combination of a grave cleric, a paladin, and a divination wizard. Where you just set it up for the perfect opportunity oh, every yeah. time of like, here you go, Paladin. Here's your crit. And they're like, here's the level three smite. And here's the path to the grave channel divinity. And there's 200 damage for you. <laughs> yeah. Let's not do that ever. <laughs> yeah, grave domains are cool, though. <laughs> Very much so. Any other combinations here? <laughs> War domain. No, <laughs> shut up. We're not talking about War Domain. <laughs> We're not. We're just not. I'm done talking about it. But it's so good. If you don't know our feelings on War Domain, then hey, thanks for being a first-time listener, because if you listen to any other episode, you'd have heard us yell about it. <laughs> Plus 10 bonus to a roll changes everything. <sighs> I would say being Barbarian does make War Domain a bit better. One of the big problems of War Domain is it's still, if you are pure War Domain, even though like all your stuff is based around hitting things better, you're still probably being outclassed by like total dead in your cantrips and stuff. Where then if you're also a Barbarian, it starts to compete more. So like a Barbarian being able to give themselves plus 10 bonus to their roll to hit is nice and being able to do an extra attack for a bonus action equal to the Wisdom modifier is nice because you get your Rage damage and stuff on that. It's, it's still so not amazing. I'm saying it's better. If, I'm saying it's better if with the barbarian. I said I didn't want to talk about this, and here you are, Kevin. <laughs> he just yeah. keeps going. <laughs> the thing that kills it is the fact that you have to get to 20 in wisdom in order to use that bonus action attack five times per long rest. If it came back on a short rest, then I would be willing to entertain this conversation. That's very fair. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've actually, in my mind, I had it a short rest. I forgot it is, it is indeed a long rest. So yes, say it, if Kevin. you gaslight yourself, the subclass is fine. <laughs> say War Domain sucks. War Domain sucks. Here we go. <laughs> but uh, did we talk much about incestual guardians? Yes. <laughs> we did not. On a different podcast. Um, ancestral <laughs> guardian. And that's a throwback to an episode two joke. We keep, you keep, even if you don't say incestual, you say ancestral. Ancestral. Yeah, isn't that it? Yeah, there's a strong. Ancestral guardian. Yeah. I think that's what makes it. Uh, that's where it comes out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that one fits really well, I think, with Cleric. I actually did have that in my notes. Um, that ancestral guardian barbarian is very much the protector. Well, if you're raging and hit somebody, you sick your ancestors on them, and if they attack anyone else but you, they get a. That's pretty much. I know. It's perfectly <laughs> correct. You just sick your ancestors <laughs> on them. <laughs> they get a disadvantage in other attacks, and you could um, uh, what's it called? Spirit shield. Yeah, you could reduce someone else's damage by two d six as a reaction, and I 
don't think there's a limit on that. I feel like I missed this ability because it's actually pretty good. No, yeah, it's... It's at sixth level. Sixth level, and it's just your reaction. Yeah, if, if you were raging... Yeah, if you were raging and another creature within 30 feet of you takes damage, use your reaction to reduce this damage by 2d6. And it increases to 3d6 a tenth and so on. Yeah, there's no... I, I assumed for some reason in my head that that was going to be like up to your con modifier or long rest or something like that, but it's just... You could just keep doing yeah. it. Just stay, with, pretty stay within 30 feet of somebody. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. So like Ancestral, Guardian, Life Cleric. I think it'd be a cool combination of like the ultimate protector. Yeah. Yeah. Take the damage yourself. Heal others. You can still do your like important healing uh, because, or I guess in the moment healing and combat healing, even if you're raging because they get the channel divinity that just heals a crap ton. Right. Yeah. Five times cleric level. Right. A crap ton. That's what I said. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why are you putting mechanics to this? It's basically limitless. When I say a ton, everybody knows it's 2,000 pounds. A crap That's ton actually is, so much more complicated is, in reality. There's metric tons, there's short true. tons, there's imperial tons. Huh. <laughs> well, whatever. You know that a crap load is five times your cleric level. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows that. That's <laughs> That's a pretty yes. standardized measurement. <laughs> so I think that's all I have around the, like the subclasses. Overall, very solid multi-class. Not going to be the greatest in melee. It's not going to be the greatest in spellcasting, but it's probably going to be a little bit better in melee overall. Either way, you get a lot more utility, and I, I like that. They're, yeah, they're, and it's just, there's fun combinations. Just fun. Just, just sounds like a really fun character. And there are much worse sacrifices to make, like if you went into a monk class. That would be very difficult to do. This one, not so much. Yeah. I will dissent a little bit, and my personal opinion is I think this is one of those subclasses that has a lot of like everyday traps and i think that if you play this you'll find yourself thinking i wish i had raged here or i wish i hadn't raged there i think that's going to be a very common refrain no matter what you do in this class is just like shit i don't it's really hard to balance these things on like an active every play session kind of thing yeah i think that would actually be that would make the class more interesting to me and I, I actually like the idea of that is because now you need to, when combat starts, really assess the battlefield. What are you fighting and what would be most useful, your spell casting or your smashing? Yeah, it's definitely, it's, a, yeah. it's an active thing. I think some people will like it, but it's definitely something to be aware of and be looking out for. Yeah. Well, one, one point I will bring up to argue of just going pure barbarian for to kind of hit this flavor is Path of the Zealot does somewhat cover the flavor of multi-classing into Definitely. cleric. It just like with like uh, you know, like nature to name cleric is kind of the crossover between druid and a cleric. Path of the Zealot feels like the crossover between barbarian and cleric. Like they already did the multi-class work for you. Here's a dedicated subclass to it. Obviously, you miss out on a lot because you don't cast spells and stuff like that. And it's really sort of pigeonholes you into one way you're the you're the zealot right <laughs> but purely from a flavor perspective you are 100 right like it's it's already there so to some extent you might be stretching a little bit but it just changes up the class play style so much that i i can see not caring about that many people not caring yeah. about that oh for sure oh for sure 
And you still can't pull off the crazy Storm Herald Tempest domain. Right. Fun shenanigans we were talking about. Exactly. Yeah. I'm glad we came up with that one. That sounds like a fun one. And now that's another character I actually want to play. Ugh. Add it to the list. Damn it, Kevin. <laughs> we can't. I'm never going to get to play all these. No, you're not. Until until we do our, you know, like three month long mini campaigns where we can just knock out a bunch of different yeah. characters. That's true. Problem is though, then all of the all of those campaigns will need to be mid or high level because like the, the the Tempest domain stuff doesn't really come online until right. probably around level ten or so. Yeah, and we'll figure that out when we get to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't just start complaining about things it. now. What's that, Will? And then they never got to it, <laughs> and all of Kevin's multi-class dreams just never were fulfilled. That's a really sad story. I know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with that, we'll move on to our promotional minute on that uh, upbeat moment. So if there's anything that you think we missed or parts you want to discuss more in depth, you can find us on Twitter. That's at monsters underscore multi or on our subreddit, our monsters and multiclass. Or if for some reason you're an email person, monsters and multiclass at gmail.com. Beyond that, make sure to subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to support the show, we very recently set up a support us page on our website. So you can just go to monstersandmulticlass.com forward slash support and find all of our stuff there. Um, Right now, we're really looking to try and uh, get each episode transcribed. Has to be done by a person because we use a lot of really weird words like ancestral guardians uh, that these auto ones might not pick up very well. So really appreciate any way you can support. And I think with that, we'll get to our monster, the Hutagen. Today, our monster of the week is the Hutagen. This is a monster that is in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, but has been expanded on by Vorpal Dice Press to include the new mythic abilities that was recently introduced in the book, Mythic Odysseys of Theros. Uh, so the Hutagen stat block is basically the same as in Mordenkainen's, but the additional mythic parts are also what we'll cover. So and th- this is, yeah, this is part of a a larger book. It's called Mythic Encounters that's put out by Vorpal Dice Press, as we mentioned, and is available on DMs Yes, Guild? it is on DMs Guild. Yeah. Uh, and... So we'll put a link in our description. Yeah, definitely have a link uh, wherever you found this podcast in the first place. And uh, more importantly, there's like 40 or 50 or a crap ton more of these monsters. It's, there's a lot. It's very detailed. I think 30. Yeah, yeah they pretty much did the, yeah, did the hard work of gathering up all these really cool, powerful monsters and making them mythic. From the from, Some from this edition, some from past. There might even be some brand new ones. I'm not sure. Though. I don't know. I won't even pretend to, but everyone that I have looked through has been awesome, and the Hutagen specifically stood out to me because it's easy to talk about. <laughs> Some of them are just long. There's like a lich, and it's like, it's straight up two pages of stats, and it would be an awesome fight, but to talk about it, it would be an hour and a half of us going through all of this, so that that doesn't sound fun. Right. Uh, <laughs> So the Hutagen is a pit fiend uh, that is a just a particularly strong one, and it's very devoted to its master, Mephistopheles, uh, which is one of the, the greater demons, I believe, or devils, not, not demons. Big difference. So 
overall, it's a, a really huge pit fiend. It looks like a pit fiend, but it's got some crazy scaly armors to it. But the fight is a lot worse than a pit fiend. So let's look at the stat block. Are you guys looking at it? I'm looking okay. At it. <laughs> All right, so it's, this is a the Hutigen, uh this, this is prior to any mythic stuff. It's challenge rating 21, arm class of 19, hit points of 200. Uh, its ability scores are crazy. The lowest ability score is 15 dex. Then it has 27 strength, 25 con, 23 int, 19 wisdom, and 25 charisma. And I always love when like, like oh yeah, their dex is the lowest, but then you look at their saving throws and it's like, no, it's proficient in dexterity saving throws. So it's still plus nine. Right, yeah. Plus 14 to con saves, plus 11 to wisdom. So the, the three big common saves, proficient in. So that's nice. It's also in proficient in intimidation and perception, so scare your party. Plus 14 to intimidation. I don't even know when that would come up. Which I guess but, is really you know, fitting. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but yeah. it's fitting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I always love, I am the one to say that skills are really important and play out, or you should play out, you know, what it's it's telling you that really reflects a lot of the flavor of the monster. But I think it's pretty obvious this one's intimidating at challenge rating 21. If you're fighting something that's CR 21 right. and it's not the least bit intimidating, then I guess it's a sleeper. You know, I, I don't know how that came out. <laughs> Some condition immunities. It has a bunch of damage resistances. We'll start there. Resistant to cold. The obvious ones of bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks that aren't silvered. Immunities to fire damage and poison. Uh, condition immunities of charmed, exhaustion, frightened, and poisoned. And then it has true sight out to 120 feet. I don't believe that's supposed to be 12 feet. I think that is a typo. So we'll just say 120 feet. And yeah, it's 120. Yeah, and passive perception of 21, knows all languages. So that, I guess, is, is pretty par for the course for any big bad monster. Yeah, and also devils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a lot of it about the damage of immunities and condition immunities. Right. Um, so into the actual fun parts of it, uh, its very first passive ability is this Infernal Despair. Uh, each creature within 15 feet of the Hutagen that isn't a devil makes saving throws with disadvantage. So this is, I mean, that's just horrible for any of your martial characters anybody that has to be up close or if it just decides to get up close and target somebody mm -hmm. already very very difficult <laughs> yeah and its spell save is already dc 22 which is also very difficult yeah uh <laughs> and some of the abilities here has or uh spells it has animate dead detect magic hold monster at will invisibility on itself mm -hmm. lightning bolt at will still suggestion and wall of fire definitely enough off there yeah all, all of those that i said were at will so a wall of fire at will is pretty ridiculous they still have to concentrate on it so you know it's not like you're gonna have the entire battlefield turn into a wall of fire though that would be really cool and definitely within his rights to circle himself into a wall of fire and have everybody trapped in there with him and very oh, yeah. fitting that'd be yeah. nasty oh yeah that'd be real bad <laughs> And of course, have the yeah the heat radiate yes. inward. Wall of Fire is one of those spells where, like within five or ten feet from one side of it, caster's choice. You also take damage, so do it inward. This thing is immune to fire. Just roast them alive. Oh boy! Mm -hmm. It has dispel magic three times a day, which I think is also really good because if there are any great effects that your party has, it can just choose to dispel them. 
Um, and that's that's pretty rough. Now, I would assume it still follows the same rules where, you know, it's it's at it's three times a day, but it's still probably at third level, which I think is what Dispel Magic is. Anything higher, it'll have to roll to make sure that it dispels it. But that's good in case it needs to, or, right. you know, you've burnt its legendary resistances. It's still got a couple things in its pocket to just ruin your day. Also, it gets a heal. This is only one, it can only do this once a day, but it gets to heal once a day. Uh, the heal spell returns 70 hit points. And you, you could divide it up however you want, so you could just give itself all 70 hit points. Also ends blindness, deafness, disease, stuff like that. So in a sense, you're almost going to be fighting this thing too. And <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, and, and I see the, the thing that's most interesting to me is how low its HP is. It really doesn't have that much health for this high of a challenge rating at only 200. It it is worth noting that a pit fiend has 300. That is interesting actually because this thing is supposed to it is a pit fiend it's just a type of pit fiend. It is the it's a pit fiend wizard in a way uh which you know they're the I don't know the nerdy pit fiend. Yeah. Who you know still has absolutely crushing martial abilities but now also right. horrifying spells and right. yeah yeah at will yeah lightning bolt too <laughs> just with a dc 22 deck saving throw for to be save 86 lightning damage i mean yeah not fun it's nuts yeah yeah and so i messed up on heal heal you just target a creature they regain 70 hit points you don't divide it up but so that essentially almost makes their health equal to the 300 health of a pit fiend they also do have less. regen yes so that's even more uh, important yes. is they do... If combat goes more than five, and they don't take radiant damage, they're already back to their pit fiend level, you know? Right. So the regeneration, the Hutagen regains 20 HP at the start of its turn. If it takes radiant damage, the trait does not function. Uh, so your party's probably not going to know that right away, but as long as they have some radiant damage, that's pretty easy to shut down, though it does limit what you know, your, your cleric is casting or it's it's forcing your paladin to smite every single time instead of waiting for big opportunities or whatever. You would right. probably do that anyways. I couldn't imagine a paladin not smiting when they hit a 20-foot-tall demon. <laughs> nah, I think I'll save it. <laughs> Just, of course, it has magical resistance, uh, so advantage on saving throws against spells or other magical effects, and its weapons are magical. And then you mentioned legendary resistance. The three yes, day. I don't know if I did. In case yeah. you know somehow yeah. you got through, right? Three times a day, you also it just no. <laughs> All right, then it, moving on to its action. So it has multi attackers, like most things at this point. It makes four attacks: a bite, claw, mace, and a tail attack. So one one of each. The these are not actually anything too crazy. I think as Will said, they're kind of the the wizard ones and so i mean it does hit hard but it's not like ridiculous the, for challenge the bite 21. is pretty bad uh plus fifth oh the poison yeah but yeah plus 15 to hit for the bite reach of five feet um if it hits it's 2d6 plus eight piercing damage 22 con save or it'll become poisoned oh yeah if it gets poisoned this way it can't regain hit points takes 3d6 poison damage at the start of each of its turns and you can repeat the saving throw at the end of your turns so that's kind of a nice Poison effect, and yeah, since you can't regain hit points, sort of a really good way to. Yeah, kill but beyond that, the claw, the mace, the tail—they are all basically the the same concept here. They do damage with different reaches. They 
2d8 for the claw, the mace is 2d6, the tail is 2d10, but they don't have any other special effects. So pretty basic stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then the Hootagen does have teleport. I uh, can magically teleport up to 120 feet to an unoccupied space that he could see. Which is pretty nice, but they do have to forego their entire action for that. So that part kind of stinks. Luckily, there's going to be legendary actions to make up for it, but... Yeah, and also layer actions, I think, too, allows a teleport, which is kind of rare. I think you're right. Works. Yeah. We'll circle mm-hmm. back to that. It it does have a unique reaction, Fearful Voice. So Fearful Voice in itself is not that unique of ability. It's basically each creature within 30 feet that isn't a devil must succeed in DC 22 Wisdom Saver, be frightened for a minute. Then you repeat the same authority of each of its turns and then they affect that itself. If you pass it, you become immune for 24 hours. That type of stuff's really common against these big, big bad monsters. Pretty much all dragons have like fright, frightful presence and stuff like that. But most of those, it's usually an action. I find it interesting where this one is a reaction that it could take in response to taking damage. Um, and it's a recharge of five to six. Yeah. But with the immunity, where if you pass it, they're not immune. Like, it does seem kind of like an odd one to do again. Yeah, I almost see this working better from a flavor perspective. I hate to say it, but like if you have a whole army of people uh, going to attack this thing, then that fearful voice becomes very interesting and, and very useful. Or I guess if, in general, if you have a bunch of things summoned to attack it. But against like a normal party of four... The first fearful voice is probably going to hit everybody, and if it doesn't, I I don't know. I guess it just doesn't matter too much to me if it can use it again. So either you pass the first time or you don't. Y- yeah, it only comes up if you know it missed one person because they were thirty five feet away. Right, and then it's like, oh, I can do it again because you know why not? It's there if they recharged it. Yeah. Yeah, but then again, like, like in a dragon, like I just pull up an adult red dragon. They have frightful presence. It's almost identical, but it's one of the multi-attack options. The dragon can use its frightful presence. It then makes right. three attacks. Like I, I don't know why they wouldn't just do the same. Totally with you. Yeah, uh, it doesn't seem to to change that much. All it does is, to me, just kind of take something out of the actions column because that's already oversaturated with four different attacks and a teleport. But I don't see any mechanical reasons to make it a recharge and to make it a reaction. Well, never mind. I, I get the reaction part, I guess. that's There's something to be said about that. Because then it can't do opportunity attacks that turn. Which, it's not the... Is it the Frighten where you run from them? No, you just stand still. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's a reaction. <laughs> just keep that in mind. Yeah. I've got nothing else to add there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then it has legendary reactions. Um, legendary actions, same as every other. It has three of them. It could do them between other, at the end of other creatures' turns. Regains its three at the start of its turn, so it could make an attack once of its mace. It could do lightning storm. It costs two actions. Uh, the Hootagen releases lightning in a 20-foot radius. All other creatures in that area must succeed on a DC 22 dex save or take 48 lightning damage. And failed half as much on a success. So it's a bit of an AOE as a legendary action. Or it's the last one. It could you know who would like the lightning storm? Tempest Cleric. The Storm Herald yeah. Barbarian. <laughs> Finally, I get to resist damage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant who would like to be able to use that because they can't uh, have, they don't have any AOE lightning. 
Anyways, I do like that. It's it's just good damage, 48, and can consistently do it. I think, as I was mentioning earlier, if you like wall of fire yourself in and limit the battlefield on the party and kind of like force them inside, then doing it a lightning storm follow-up 20-foot radius around you, it's just the type of cruelty that would be expected from such a difficult fight. And he can teleport out, too. I mean, just, like, thinking about that, he could just, like, wall a fire around himself and, like, you know, rope everybody off, and then he can just bamf out whenever he feels like it. Right. All right, so that's everything in Morton Canaan's. Uh, but then going back over to the Mythic Encounters book, it adds some layer actions. Uh, so in here, layer actions, if you're not familiar, on initiative count 20, losing ties, can take a layer action to cause one of the following effects, and you can't use the same two effects in a row. That's pretty standard. Uh, so one of it is it can target a creature within 30 feet that can see or hear him. Hyogen uh, uses his telepathy to make a promise to that creature. The target must succeed on a DC 22 wisdom saving throw, or they become charmed, and that lasts until the devil takes their next layer action. So that one's kind of interesting to me because I feel like it's pretty basic it just gives the charmed condition which basically means they can't attack him right. unless he attacks them yeah, that's... it's it's pretty basic but also really powerful when you think about as i was mentioning earlier the paladin the one that they probably want to shut down the most you could get pretty creative with that as a dm i think Definitely. Uh, next one is can use his teleport action which is just nice he's got a lot of mobility between using that as a layer action and as a legendary action and then lastly, he can recharge his fearful voice immediately. So that was the one we were just talking about where I don't know why you'd want to use it again twice. This seems to be giving a lot of ways you can use it. And I just don't know why. Like it feels like we're missing something, right? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, maybe he's just using it once on each creature. <laughs> I, I don't know. The only thing I can think of once again is if your characters are doing a lot of summoning and... Beyond that, who cares? Yeah, I got nothing for that one. That's all right. <laughs> so, with that, next is the mythic portion of this fight. Uh, so, if you're not familiar with the concept of mythic encounters, as this was something that came up recently, uh, it's basically like a stage two to your larger boss fights. Generally, the trigger is bringing the creature down to zero HP. So, in this case... That's exactly it. Bringing Hutagen down to 0 HP from 200, he will instead drop to 1 HP and gain 200 temp HP. It's by calling on the power of Kanya. Yes. Who I don't really know. Kanya is the realm, the level of hell he's on. Oh, perfect. Thank you. I am glad that you and remember Morden Canons because I read that entire I'm section. The only, I'm the only person who gives a shit about lore at all. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, Kanya is like the coldest place in the universe. It's obscenely cold. So that you'll notice this entire mythic encounter is kind of cold themed. Right, right. And so while this happens, his AC becomes 21. And any creature who hits Hutagen with a melee attack suffers 2d8 cold damage, and all of Hutagen's weapons attack deal an extra 2d8 cold damage in addition to all their other damage dealt, uh, which starts to make his claws, mace, and tail, and bite all a lot more interesting. 
Mm-hmm. So almost more important than even that. Oh, do you have something to add? I say, and the yeah, the when you hit him with a melee attack, it's every attack. It's not like a once per turn. So if yeah, if you're a fighter who's hitting him three or four times, you're getting hit, taking two day cold damage. You don't save for it. It just happens. How do you like that capstone now? Now that you're taking eight d eight cold damage to yourself, <laughs> right? Yeah, so I think even more on, on top of that, I mean, that, that alone makes for a very difficult stage two. But then he also will get some new things he can use for legendary actions, the mythic actions. Uh, the first one is general stance. Hydrogen takes on a martial stance, holding his mace in a defensive way. Until the start of his next turn, any creature who moves into Hydrogen's reach provokes an opportunity attack. It's just an extra attack, but... That would still be limited to his reaction. I, I do also just like the idea of a stance. I think it's something that could be cool to expand upon, where you, know, you could have these monsters where they, they have like one of three stances they could be in, each with a different pro and con. It could be you know, their legendary action to switch it, but then it's just kind of like this activated effect. That would be interesting. Like they have their attack stance yeah. where they do more damage or have like an extra attack. Their defense stance, their AC goes up, and you know they get something like this where they get opportunity attacks, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, you see it. Um, see that type of stuff a lot in video games, like RPG mm-hmm. video games. But not, not something I see much in D anD. d No, I think there's mythic encounters as a whole is taking something that has been around in video games for like decades now and turning it into a D anD D format. Uh, there's tons more things I think to take from from boss battle design that you just don't see played out in in D&D stat blocks. Right. So the next one is summon aid. So you can summon a devil of CR 10 or lower in an unoccupied space within 120 feet. Once this action has been used, it can't summon another one until that summon creature is dead. Uh, So a CR 10 or lower is not anything to scoff at. That's a pretty strong devil right there most definitely yeah and in you're in the cr21 mythic fight and all of a sudden there's constantly cr10 up that you have to contend with because you can you just keep redoing right. this every time it dies the one thing that would be nice though is oh well i guess i'd count that as dead i was thinking if you banish it at least for that minute would he be able to bring up another one so we pro- we haven't gotten into this but I don't know. Can you banish something from another plane on its own plane? You're right. If you were on that plane, it probably wouldn't do anything. And I don't think there's any reason why you'd be fighting Hutogen on the material plane. Seeing as it- Yeah, he's not. He's specifically not no. made to make house calls. So right. Like, probably <laughs> in his house, and like the banishment's probably not going to work. I think that it would still work. Like You could be on the material plane and just like banish a bandit. Right, it wouldn't do the thing where they like stay banished, I believe. Right, yes. but yeah, so for a minute, you, you kind of you stop him from having a challenge rating ten. Right, companion. Right, and he has no way to dismiss the companion. It's not like he can use it to just like crush them out of existence. So, as I read it, right, you would need to break concentration. Right, and, and so he'd basically just for a minute there have not be able to, to bring in that CR-10. Um, it'd be easier than killing the CR-10, to be honest. Right. The last mythic action is Slow Ice. The Hutagen summons power from Kanya. 
targeting a creature he can see within 120 feet and conjuring ice to form at its feet. The creature must succeed on a DC 22 deck saving throw or its movement speed is reduced to zero. This lasts until any creature within reach uses its action to break the ice. It's just nice. It's kind of cool being able to freeze somebody in place for, I won't say for free, but for a very low cost. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, like I said before, the goes with the theme too of how cold Connie is supposed to be. Yeah. So between it's 200 hit points, it's ability to cast heal on itself and then the mythic traits you're you're basically fighting this thing almost two and a half right. times while it's summoning as many CR10 demons as it would like in a row, not at the same time. Yeah. Becomes a heck of a fight. Yeah. I think the the only thing <laughs> that and i don't think this really matters but it's just that idea again of you probably need to have minions otherwise but they don't all need to be cr10s coming in just because single target this thing just does not have the health to really stand up against high level adventurers and it's challenge rating 21 so it's not going to be I won't say it's going to be super easy, but it's going to be pretty easy for a party of level 20s to get through 200 HP. 17 and below, like between that range is probably where you'd be fighting this thing. But you definitely Mm -hmm. want to put some thought into how quickly this guy can be killed if you just let him be a meat sack. He needs to be moving around the battlefield, uh, needs to be... right. Does have sixty. Does it, yeah, he's got that along with the teleport. So he he has the mobility, and you kind of gotta use that to your advantage by shutting down the player's mobility. It sounds rather annoying, but you know that's when they start bringing out spells like haste, so that they have a hundred and twenty feet of movement when they dash or whatever it is, right? And any other or casting fly and spell. Yep. Paladin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then baiting out is to spell magic. Right. And yeah, because yeah, that's that's a good point. When you said fly, that didn't connect for me. But this isn't going to be a single plane fight. He is going to be going up and down into the sky. And if your paladin can't fly, he's, he's done for. Right. And also then, as mentioned before, don't forget it. This Hootagen has regeneration. So even though its hit points are lower, every round it gets 20 back unless it is taking radiant damage right. this round. Which is, there's no guarantee. Yeah. Yeah, there isn't. I'd hate to be, a, as you said, Will, a fighter trying to go up against this thing. <laughs> yeah. Especially in the second stage. Right. Which I think is like, yeah. I, that's the thing I like about these mythic encounters is you create, you can at least create a different encounter. Mm-hmm. And this one did a really good job at that, of it becoming a much more martial fight. You know, it's, this thing is a off-brand pit fiend if you ignore the spell casting. You know, once it goes mythic, it's uh, it's evened out. You know, it can really stand toe to toe, and that punishing you for hitting him means that he would probably be less inclined to get out of the battle when possible. And and higher AC spells. Mm-hmm. You know, so he everything about it just right. reshapes the fight. Yeah, yeah. And if you were like trying to think tactics as a DM, I would definitely be saving that. Oh, wait, does the heal even work then? Yeah, I guess the heal would work on the second stage, but the temp HP, once that goes away, then its current form goes away. Yeah, I would use the heal just yeah. on the first yeah, stage yeah. then. I, I take that back. Otherwise, I'll start to feel a little... 
Right. I, I forgot that it adds temp HP. I think that the in-book Mythic Encounters don't do the temp HP additions. It's just they get, they heal whatever amount of HP back. But regardless, that's how it's written. And for that, I would use heal in the first part. So in terms of why you would fight this thing, it would need to be deliberate. Um, and within its yeah. flavor text, it talks about how Hootagen hates the mortal realm. It, it, he just does not have followers in the material plane because he, he just hates hates all of it. Hates everybody there. Hates mortals. Hates the material plane. Doesn't bother trying to get followers. You're not really going to find a cult of Hootagen to infiltrate or anything like that. And so he just never really goes to the material plane. An awful uh, Mephistopheles actively encourages him to stay in the Nine Hells because he he knows that if Hootagen leaves that then he is then vulnerable because Mephistopheles or Hootagen is kind of the main protector of Hephaestus. These names are tough. Of Mephistopheles. Right. So that right away is a great reason to fight them. If Mephistopheles is your actual huge big bad evil guy at the end of this campaign, then this makes for a fantastic lead up fight that, you know, you're never going yes. to get to Mephistopheles unless you find a way to get Hutagen out of the way. And you're not going to be able to summon him right. because you can't find any information about him. He literally sends de- devils out into the material plane to destroy and kill anybody who knows uh, how to summon him or how to do anything around that. So your party's best bet is going into the nine hells, meeting him at his door and killing him, and then hoping that they can get out of there and rest up so that they can go fight Mephistopheles at a later time. <laughs> right. And if you want to make this a really tough fight, I mean, Hootagen's whole thing is that he, he does command two companies of pit fiends. And so you have to... I mean, and just a pit fiend by itself is a challenge any 20 fight. So get through a bunch of those, he would probably then have some with him in his fight. Yeah. Yeah, and that's going to be... It's just extremely deadly i don't know i mean you start to get to those those ranges where it's like how could you ever possibly survive but i mean that's why you just generally don't travel to the nine hells it's not really suggested right unless you're an official wizards of the coast campaign (laughs) then you're there by level three (laughs) i also like to point out in the the new book mythic encounters the art for hootagen is so much cooler than the one in morning games <laughs> yeah yeah all of the art in here is is really good so that's a thing yeah, yeah the one in morning games looks looks kind of dated I don't, I don't know if that was like a throwback to older editions but you'll see that in a lot of the books you'll see like art that doesn't seem to fit but it looks like it fits from a book from the past so i feel like it probably yeah. was intentional but yeah i really like the mythic yeah. counters artwork Looks very imposing. But yeah, any any other thoughts on the Hootagen? Nah, it's pretty dope. Uh, all the, I mean, any Arts Devil is going to be a very epic encounter. Um, but like you said, Jared, and like we say every single episode, your sack of meat's not going to last as long as you think it's going to last. <laughs> you know, Mythic Encounter is one way to definitely add to that. Minions is another. I like the combination. Awesome. Yep, definitely. All right, that's everything that I've got about Hutagens. And Kevin, take it away. Thanks for listening. Next time on Monsters and Multiclass. 
Join us as we discuss the Fighter Sorcerer multiclass and then Mind Flayers from the Monster Manual with our very special guest, Treant Monk. You may know him from his God Wizard guides and just about every one of his other guides. I think he's got a guide on, on everything. So, uh, yeah, YouTube channel. We're super excited to talk with him. So make sure to tune in. Thank you.